But Ruth's change of heart goes far beyond where she will reside or what nation or what family she'll belong to. It is a change of spiritual devotion, of spiritual allegiance. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Is there anything in your life that you're unwilling to renounce in order to walk in faithful obedience to God? Might you be in need of repentance? Hello again, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part five of a series titled, Ruth. Last time, we looked at the spiritual restoration of God's child, Naomi. Today, Tom will delve into the spiritual salvation of God's enemy, Ruth, the Moabitess, who was an idolater prior to her salvation. You'll discover that for Ruth, the decision to give up her life in order to commit herself to Naomi and ultimately to God required extraordinary courage, a decision that changed her life forever. The question is, how do you know if you're an enemy of God or not? Keep that in mind as we join Tom Pennington now on The Word Unleashed. As I noted to you last time, in this section of the story, Ruth is not the hero. Naomi is not the hero. Obviously, Boaz, whom we've not yet met, he's not the hero. Instead, Yahweh is the hero of the story. By restoring the land of Israel from drought and famine to food, by restoring Naomi from sin to repentance... And by converting Ruth from idolatry to salvation. So this section is the remarkable story of the repentance and the spiritual restoration of one of God's own and the spiritual conversion of one of God's enemies. Now last time we considered the first part of that and that is the spiritual restoration of God's child. I noted for you that the The restoration of Naomi began with a deliberate decision. Verse 6 says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab. She decides after 10 years, it's time to go home. And she decided this out of a very sincere motive. Verse 6 goes on to say, For she had heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. The Lord had come like a, like a vassal king to check on his people, and perhaps having found them in repentance, he brings blessing. He had visited them. We also saw in her response a genuine love for others because in verses 7 to 13, out of genuine love for her two daughters-in-law, she presents a series of arguments to try to convince them to return to their families in Moab. Most of it was just out of concern for them, and uh, most of it was genuine love. I think there there was lacking some wisdom, even as we'll see tonight. But it was born out of a genuine love for others. In response to her arguments, there were two possible decisions decisions before these two women, her daughters-in-law. Verse 14 said, they, they lifted up their voices and wept again as they realized that this is really the end and that they have to make a decision that life as they knew it will cease to be. In response to Naomi's arguments, there were two distinct responses. The first was the normal human response of 
unbelief. It's Orpah. Verse 14 says, and she kissed her mother-in-law. This was a final farewell. This was, I'm going home. Naomi's arguments made perfect sense to her. And so she gives Naomi a final farewell kiss and she heads for home, back to Moab. Hers was the response of unbelief. Notice verse 15 says she is returning to her own land and to her own gods. She knows who it is that Naomi worships, but that's not enough to persuade her. Her response is the response of unbelief. But Ruth's response was the surprising response of faith. Verse 14 says she clung to her. But in the passage that follows, that fills out so much more. We come to understand that it's not just her love for Naomi that drives this woman. Something radical is happening in her heart. Tonight, we need to consider this second choice in more detail. Let's call the second section of this part of Ruth, the spiritual salvation of God's enemy. We've seen the spiritual restoration of God's child, that's Naomi. Now let's look at the spiritual salvation of God's enemy, this is Ruth. This section begins with really an acknowledgement of the desperate need of salvation in the lives of both of these women, both Orpah and Ruth. Verse 15, Naomi says to Ruth, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. You can see the scene unfolding. Orpah, having given her farewell kiss, has has begun to head for home. She's still within eyesight. and, And so Naomi points at Orpah, who's headed down the road back to Moab, and she urges Ruth to join her. But notice how Naomi interprets Orpah's actions. Your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. The word people here is not so much a political term like nation, probably better considered a relational term. She has returned to her own people, to her, her relatives, to her kinfolk. Then Naomi adds, she's gone back to her gods. The word for gods in Hebrew is Elohim. It can be singular as when it's used in the true God of the Bible, but it can also be plural. It's the word that's used of the gods of the nations. So Naomi here may be referring to all the gods of the Moabites, or she may be referring to the one chief god among the gods of Moab, Chemosh. We're not sure. You see, the Moabites were henotheists. That is, they were polytheists. They worshipped many gods, but they venerated one god above the others. And the name of that god was Chemosh. Just as Israel was known as the, the people of Yahweh, the Moabites were known as the people of Chemosh. Numbers 21.19, Woe to you, O Moab! You are ruined, O people of Chemosh. Who was Chemosh? He was a warrior god. And one of the darkest parts of the worship of Chemosh was he accepted 
at times demanded child sacrifice. You can read about it in 2 Kings 3, verse 27. This is the God. This is the God that Ruth worshipped. This is the God that Orpah worshipped. An idol who demanded child sacrifice. It's troubling to hear Naomi insist that Ruth return to Moab where she will worship Chemosh. Though well-intentioned, why wouldn't she encourage Orpah and Ruth both to accompany her where they could be further exposed to the true God? She's not yet thinking thoroughly spiritually. She's thinking only worldly what will be the best for their, their life in this world? Verse 15, return after your sister-in-law. For the fourth time, Naomi commands Ruth to return to Moab. Ruth, follow your, your friend's example. Follow your sister-in-law's example. Moab is where you belong. Ruth here finds herself caught between her own desire and her mother-in-law's commands. You see, Ruth, as we see her here in verse 15, she desperately needs spiritual rescue. She needs salvation. She, like Orpah, stands in the valley of decision. Is she going to continue to live the way she has lived? Is she going to continue to worship the false god Chemosh? Or is she going to choose... Naomi's God. She was an idolater. Do you understand this? Ruth was an idolater headed to eternal hell. We are all in that condition apart from Christ, aren't we? In the same situation as Ruth. Every one of us is by nature an idolater. We are all hardwired to worship hardwired to worship the true God, but because of our fallenness, we take that that hardwiring and we pervert it. And if we don't worship the true God, we will worship something. And that's what happened with Ruth and Orpah. She desperately needed salvation. Next, we see the genuine expression of her repentance and faith. For the first time, In the book, we hear from Ruth. Daniel Block writes, The first words we hear from Ruth's lips are among the most memorable in all of Scripture. That is from her lips alone. Few utterances in the Bible match her speech for sheer poetic beauty and the extraordinary courage and spirituality that it expresses. Robert Hubbard writes, with the reading of poetry, the now familiar words, her very first in the story, soar on the wings of rhythm. They still tower as a majestic monument of faithfulness above the biblical landscape. Look at what she says, verse 16. Caught in the the crosshairs between her sister-in-law headed down the road back to Moab and her well-intentioned mother-in-law suggesting that she also return and her own desires, Ruth says, do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. And then she makes a series of promises of her allegiance. I want you to notice the specific promises she makes as, as she rehearses this allegiance 
First of all, she renounces her own independence and she commits to stay with Naomi. Verse 16, for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you go, that is, wherever your travels take you, I will travel with you. She commits to be Naomi's constant companion. And then where you lodge, it's an interesting expression. The word lodge is is ordinarily used of staying the night somewhere or of, of temporarily residing somewhere. But in this context, clearly it's speaking of wherever Naomi makes her residence, There, Ruth says, I too will make my residence. She commits not only to accompany Naomi on her journeys, but to live wherever Naomi chooses to live and to be her constant companion and caregiver. She renounces her independence and commits to care for Naomi. There's a second promise she makes. She renounces her family and nation to belong to Naomi's family and nation. Verse 16, she says, your people, literally, your people, my people. Your people, my people. The Hebrew word for people can refer to one's nation or one's ethnic group, but it's used most often to refer to one's extended family, one's clan or one's tribe. In English, we would say your relatives or or your kinfolk. So Ruth here is renouncing her own immediate family, her extended family, her clan, her tribe, her nation. And she is saying that from this point forward, Ruth's family will be her family. And Ruth's clan or tribe will be her clan or tribe. And Israel will be her nation. Now this commitment required extraordinary courage. I've told you often before One of the best pieces of advice I learned from my father-in-law was when you read the Bible, read it with a sanctified imagination. Put yourself back into that circumstance. Imagine what that would be like. As far as we know, Ruth had never visited Israel, much less Bethlehem. She has no idea at this point how she'll be received or if she will be welcomed at all. Frankly, as one author described it, in Bethlehem in those days, a Moabite woman like Ruth would have been as welcome as a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah. (laughs) Nevertheless, she makes this commitment. Robert Hubbard says she willingly abandoned her family, her familiar surroundings, and her religious traditions. She took on the uncertain future of a widow in a land where she knew no one, enjoyed few legal rights, and faced possible ethnic prejudice. But Ruth's change of heart goes far beyond where she will reside or what nation or what family she'll belong to. The promise of her allegiance in these verses transcends all of those earthly things because at its core, her commitment here is a spiritual commitment. It is a change of spiritual devotion, of spiritual allegiance. Because thirdly, notice she promises that she will renounce her idols and become a genuine follower of Yahweh. In verse 16, she says, and your God, my God, and your God, my God. 
She makes it clear here that she has made her choice and it will not be Chemosh, it will be Yahweh. Reminds me of Joshua. You remember when he called the people of Israel in his day, in Joshua 24, 15, he says, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve Yahweh, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. But as for me and my house, we will serve Yahweh. That is essentially what Ruth is saying. Ruth's statement here manifests true repentance because she is turning from something. She is turning from her past, her religious past. She's turning from Chemosh. And it also manifests her genuine faith because she is not merely turning from Chemosh into a vacuum. She is turning to Yahweh. This is really the point. And this becomes very clear in chapter 2. Turn over to chapter 2, verse 11. Again, we, we hear from Boaz, and Boaz interprets Ruth's decision. And I want you to see this. Ruth 2.11, Boaz replied to her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law after the death of your husband has been fully reported to me. And how you left your father and your mother still had both parents living. You left them, you left the land of your birth, and you came to a people that you did not previously know. So far, it could just be something at a human level. But notice what he says in verse 12. May Yahweh reward your work and your wages be full from Yahweh, the God of Israel. Watch this. Under whose wings you have come to seek refuge. This describes the reality of this commitment. Your God will be my God. It's what Paul said to the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. That's exactly what happened with Ruth. This is what she commits to. But I want you to see not only the promises of her allegiance here, but I want you to see the permanence of her allegiance. Look again at verse 16. Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Now, it's clear in verse 16 that Ruth is making these commitments for the rest of Naomi's lifetime. You see that? She will never be separated from Naomi during her lifetime. But her allegiance transcends Naomi's lifetime. Notice verse 17. Where you die, I will die. In other words, Ruth is making a commitment not only for the rest of Naomi's life, but for the rest of Ruth's life. Now at this point, Naomi, as we noted last week, is likely around 50 years old. Ruth, on the other hand, is probably only 25 to 30 perhaps years old. 
So Ruth could spend the next 15 to 20 years caring for Naomi. Then after Naomi's death, she could still return to her home in Moab. And it's even possible at the age of 35 to 40, she may be able to find a husband in Moab at that point. But here's where we learn that Ruth's allegiance is not just to Naomi. Because she adds, where you die, I will die. In other words, after your death, Naomi, I will continue to live in Israel among your family, among the nation of Israel, worshiping your God until I die. But the permanence of Ruth's allegiance goes even farther. Notice verse 17 again. And there I will be buried. That's an extraordinary comment in that time of history. Ruth is here making a commitment, not just for Naomi's lifetime and not just for her own lifetime, she is making a commitment for eternity. In the ancient world, people could leave their family and their nation and live in a foreign land. But where they requested to be buried was a testimony of where they felt they truly belonged. And it looked to eternity, to their life after death. A great example of this is Joseph, who spent most of his life in Egypt. But what did Joseph request be done with his body after his death? Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. I don't want to be buried in Egypt. I want to be buried with my people because that shows where my allegiance is. That shows where my commitment and trust is forever. So when Ruth promised Naomi that this commitment she was making included her body being buried near Naomi in Israel, she was making an eternal commitment of her allegiance to Naomi, to Israel, and to Yahweh, Israel's God. And she seals this extraordinary statement of her allegiance, notice in verse 17, with a sobering oath. Thus may Yahweh do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Now this was a fairly typical self-imprecatory oath. You would call down God's judgment on yourself if you failed to do whatever it was you had promised. But notice this Moabitess, former worshiper of Chemosh, specifically calls Yahweh to witness. This clearly shows that she now considers Yahweh to be her God. Notice in the curse itself, she says, thus may the Lord do to me. She's calling for God to produce dire consequences on her personally if she doesn't keep these promises that she's making. Now, what is thus? We're not told exactly what thus is, what the consequences will be if she breaks these promises. There are a couple of possibilities. She may be saying, may I die a premature death? I mean, she's in context been speaking of Naomi's death. Maybe she's saying, may God take my life prematurely if I don't keep these promises. 
Or she may be saying, may God visit the curses he promised to bring onto his people onto me. In other words, she could be referencing the curses on disobedience found in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. May God bring plagues and fire and famine and war on me. A third possibility is that when she said these words, thus may the Lord do to me, she made some nonverbal gesture of what she was inviting God to do if she broke the promise. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part five of his series, Ruth. Tom will have part six for you next time, and we hope you'll join us then. You know, in a world filled with great uncertainty, God's Word and the promises it contains offer wonderful encouragement to believers in Jesus Christ. We pray that the ministry of the Word Unleashed is playing a prominent role to that effect, and we'd love to hear how that works in your life and personal walk with the Lord. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at the Word Unleashed. We also invite you to visit thewordunleashed.org, where you'll find other resources, including additional radio series from The Word Unleashed. That's all at thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.